a planetarium is an instrument which is designed for a very special purpose. The purpose is to show you the stars so that you can learn about them very, very easily. But we can do a lot of things with this instrument, which is called a planetarium. 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 It's a regular time machine and a space machine. Every now and then, a dodecahedron comes along that changes the world. Today we're talking about one of those, a dodecahedron that changed the world of astronomy. It was a planetarium projector. It completely redefines what a planetarium is. This is Michael McConville, president of the International Planetarium Society. Without the dodecahedron, without these inexpensive and accessible projectors, planetarium history is very, very different. Today's episode is a love story. It's about a man who fell in love. And in that love, a dodecahedron was born. This is the story of Armand Spitz, the man who put the dodecahedron on the map by putting a map on a dodecahedron. The key thing to remember about Armand Spitz is that while he wasn't a scientist per se, this is not someone who had uh, you know, a lot of formal education in the hard sciences, his abilities as a science communicator transcended any sort of limitations that he might have had as a scientist. Armand was from Philadelphia and had been working in newspaper and journalism. This is Brent Apatantuano, author of Armand Spitz, Seller of Stars. At the time of the Great Depression, he had to close down the newspaper and decided, well, I'm going to cast my luck to overseas journalism. So he found this freighter out of Philadelphia and said, take me over. I'll be in Europe. I'll be a European correspondent. Didn't have a heck of a lot of money, so he took the job as a dishwasher on that trip to book his passage. One night, he decides to go for a walk. He makes friends with the crew, because obviously now he's one of the crew. And the ship's navigator was showing him, oh, look, you can tell where you are if you look up at the night sky while we're out here in the middle of the ocean. And one of the ways they do that is using a sextant. The sextant, based on the position of stars or planets, will tell you, you are at this position if you sighted this object at this time. That sextant fascinated him, and he wanted one. So the next day, he went down to the kitchen and grabbed a few things and made his own sextant. Where it's a pan of water, vertical board, and like crayons and markers and toothpicks and stuff. It wasn't pretty, but it worked. It also enlightened him. 
to the direction he was meant to go. Armand was hooked on astronomy. So he ended up coming back to the U.S. He knew enough people in the local area that, hey, someone will get you a position over at Haverford College. They wouldn't hire him as a faculty member because he didn't actually have a college degree, but they let him, okay, come in, do some lectures for us in the astronomy department. Oh, wait, people actually like these lectures. Maybe you can do some more of the lectures. He started to think of himself as an astronomer, and every astronomer needs a telescope. So, per usual, he found some stuff in the alleyway and threw one together. Spitz, being a very DIY, hands-on sort of guy, managed to find himself a surplus stovepipe and use that for the tube of the telescope. Next, Armand redecorated. He was very much into experimenting at the house. There was a point where he repainted one room with like constellations and stars on the ceiling. After that, he built the moon. Spitz came up with this idea to do a papier-mâché moon, sat there and glued the strips of newspaper and made a three-and-a-half-foot moon. When it was done, he ended up getting it on display at the Philadelphia Natural History Museum. Next, Armand set his sights on the prestigious Franklin Institute. These are the recognized experts who have the PhDs and have the college degrees, or I'm the uh, recognized authority on the mechanics of this. The Franklin Institute was one of the first five places to acquire a large astronomy department. And Spitz thought, oh, I'm perfect for this. But nope, they didn't want him in there because he never got that college degree. So he kind of had to backdoor his way in by saying, okay, then what do you need me to do? One day they let him volunteer and give a presentation in the planetarium. Here's Michael again from the International Planetarium Society. It's very difficult to teach charisma. That's what Armand had in just wheelbarrows full. This was somebody who could walk into a dark dome and give a show and engage them from start to finish. And when these instruments are put in the hands of skilled storytellers, all bets are off. It was a flawless performance and he ended up working there for the next 25 years. Starting out as a volunteer, starting the Department of Meteorology, eventually becoming director of PR, starting programs about what's up tonight, go out and look at the moon. When we are under the moon, the moon above, you got me acting just like a loon, it must be love. He became director of education and helped start the first national science fair which obviously continues to this day, so that's a very successful effort. Armand was unstoppable, but he'd yet to make his big mark in astronomy. Armand saw how the crowds came, how the crowds were interested in what he was showing, so his mind got to working again, kind of back to saying, I can build a telescope out of a stovepipe, I can build a sextant out of a pan, what could I do to make a smaller, cheaper planetarium? 
At the time, the 1940s, planetariums had been around for about 20 years. They started in Germany. What we think of now as a planetarium got started in 1923. The Zeiss Corporation in Germany had invented a machine to project stars inside a darkened room. During World War II, the Zeiss factory was bombed, and after World War II, you weren't going to be able to buy a planetarium from Zeiss Germany, partly because they had to set up and retool, partly because you probably couldn't get it, partly because if you could get it, you were spending $100,000, $150,000 in you know, 1940s dollars. That's when Armand shows up. Right place, right time. So in the immediate post-World War II time frame, he played around with a bunch of different ideas. Can I do something with a globe shape? But in order to drill an accurate constellation on an existing sphere, you'd have to angle all of the drill bits. You can't lay a sphere flat on your table to drill those holes. The repurposed globe didn't work. So he tried a cylinder. Oh, it kind of looks like the constellations. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, you can't make the holes too big. Oh, you got to have them positioned this way. What about turning it? The cylinder didn't work. So he tried an icosahedron. This big 20-sided object that's all triangles. And he had all sorts of trouble with all the triangles. The icosahedron failed. So what's the next step? Armand didn't know what to do. Nothing he tried was working. There has to be a better way to do this. So he kind of shelved the idea for a little bit. Until one day, he happened to run into the one and only Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein says, oh, here's this new person who's in town and he's trying to design a astronomy instrument. He told Einstein all about his problem. Einstein thought for a moment, then looked him straight in the eye. He says, have you considered a dodecahedron? Dodecahedron. Dodecahedron. It would be much simpler. Spitz took up on that idea and said, okay, I'll try that one. That became another one of his, use this side of the kitchen table. Let's uh, set these up. Oh, I need drills. What's the smallest drill I can get? Oh, how many holes do I need? He was able to cut costs by making a pinhole style projector, which means no glass, no lenses, just tiny holes poked into 12 pentagons that he cut out of sheets of plastic. The hard part was accurately mapping the stars onto the pentagons and drilling a thousand holes. Armand had lots of issues with getting a drill jig or whatever rigged up to do the angles for those star holes. Every hole had to converge at the center. Without convergence, the stars would be a little dim and blurry. Next, he had to find the right light bulb. He was able to find a auto headlight bulb so that he didn't have to custom design anything. Light bulb, check. Dodecahedron check. Then the moment had come. One evening in late December 1946, around Christmas time, when Armand hung the last pentagon with care, turned off the lights, and flipped the switch. 
Snow fell softly outside. Carolers sang in the distance. And Armand wept. Sweet tears of joy. The Spitz Model A projector had arrived. Once Spitz had a working instrument, his uh, road show began. He ended up taking them cars, planes, train, you know, any form of transport. Let's go out and let's show the U.S. what they can get for their $500. He went to shopping centers, schools, museums. He showed his Pentagons off at the Pentagon, military bases. He went to a cave. Hey, come to the cave and see the night sky. He even booted it up on an airplane. I'm not sure exactly how he's getting power on the plane, but apparently he did some shows on planes. Then Armand had a new problem, but it was a good one. Too many orders to keep up with. When he finally gets back to Pennsylvania, he found out that he had some orders waiting for him. He's like, oh, this is actually going to sell. I've got orders for, you know, 20 of these. Okay, I'll build these myself. Oh, wait, I've got another order for 20 of these. I can build these myself. Oh, wait, nope, I can't keep building these myself. I got orders for 150 of these. What do I do? Spitz was finally able to sell enough instruments that it became a profitable business. He'd come a long way. From being a dishwasher on a boat, staring up at the stars, to building a company that sold stars. People started calling Armand the Henry Ford of the planetarium. The dodecahedron of the A-series, the early A-series projectors, exemplifies this can-do spirit that Armand seemed to have so much of. The $500 original price for one of these, any dome with any means, could get themselves a star projector. And it's what started this democratization of planetary projection systems, especially here in the United States. But Armand wasn't done. After that, he partnered with a toy company and made a little toy projector. The Spitz Jr. became a very popular toy. Then he developed his most famous projector, the Model A3P. The A3P, the quintessential planetarium star projector. Personally, I grew up looking at an A3P projector at the uh, Buzz Aldrin Planetarium. After that, there were a series of projectors. There was the 512 and the 1024, which were fully automated. And then there is the Spitz STP, the Space Transit Projector, sort of the Spitz step into larger domes. The Spitz company kept on going, and it's still a thing even today, still making planetariums. And that's where Michael works. When I walk into the building every morning, there's an A1 right in front of the door and the picture of, of Armand that's hung up in the building. It is humbling, but also I feel really honored to be able to be part of that history uh, is incredibly meaningful to me. The story of Armand Spitz is cool for two reasons. Number one, he did a lot for astronomy. 
He wasn't a scientist, he couldn't do physics, he wasn't an astronaut, but his planetariums made thousands of young people fall in love with astronomy, who then went on to become astronauts and physicists, etc. So Armand was in recruitment. He enlisted tons of people into the sciences, and for that, I say bravo. Number two, this story is cool because it involves a dodecahedron. The Model A projector succeeded because of the dodecahedron. Without the dodecahedron, who knows what would have happened. Today, 75 years later, the Model A's pretty much gone extinct. Aside from a few lone survivors huddled deep in the mountains of Southern California. Well, hi, welcome. Come on in. Show you around. There's a place where planetarium projectors go to retire. Hi, welcome. Nice to have you. Where they can relax and be with all the other projectors and talk about the good old days, you know, before everything went digital. Armin Spitz always said that the uh, projector in the center of the dome was a main attractor. Had he lived long enough to see the square box with one lens in the center, he'd be disappointed. That's Owen Ferris. He runs the place with his assistant, Trish, and his robot, Copernicus. Hello, my name is Copernicus, and I would like to welcome you to the Planetarium Projector and Science Museum. Our motto is, we bring the universe to you. I was in a room chock full of massive planetarium projectors in Big Bear, California, at the Planetarium Projector Museum, the pantheon of projection. You say this is the largest collection of planetarium projectors in the solar system. Is that true? Probably the universe. There's a lot. How many are in here? There's uh, 22 projectors in here right now in this room. And they're all bigger than me. I mean, these projectors are good size. We have one up there. Wow. One of the projectors uh, that he was most famous for was the Spitz A3P, and that's over here. You want to see the dodecahedron over here? Oh, there it is. Turn on a few more lights here so you can see better. Is that the A1 or the A2? This is the A2 model. The original ones were made out of plastic. Uh, there was a blue plastic for the A, and then they went to uh, black vinyl light, the same black plastic that records are made out of. But then they went to uh, aluminum. This is These are made out of aluminum. Wow, this is cool. Let me just look at this thing. Yeah. This is complicated. The projector itself is basically a pinhole projector that you can't see. There's lots of pinholes there. Wow, so they're tiny. They are very tiny, yeah, very tiny. What are you showing me, Trish? Well, you can start to see them if you look on this side where the lighting is a little different. You see the, the holes? Right, you can see them. Mm -hmm. And so were these done by hand? Yes, all by hand. Hand drilled, wow. They weren't, uh, they didn't have CNC machines back then, so they were all hand drilled. And there are different size pinholes for the different magnitude stars as well. So we're standing below a big parachute that is above all these projectors, a big white parachute, and he's using it as a planetarium dome. And this parachute saved your life? It did. I was a skydiver, and it saved. Uh, parachute didn't open once, and I had to use the emergency chute, this chute. It's cool you kept it. Yeah, and it's nice to... Uh, project the stars on it because the uh, ripstop nylon has wrinkles and it makes the stars twinkle. Oh, that's cool. What would happen to these projectors if it weren't for you? A lot of them have been scrapped due to the uh, digital revolution. So someone needed to save them. 
and that someone was you. Yeah, we do take in uh, projectors. Otherwise, they would have ended up uh, being scrapped. Unfortunately, I think that is what is happening to a lot of the projectors. So Owen is kind of like saving um, something that could be lost. Then, suddenly, the Model A awoke. Boys and girls, I think that you're going to see something new that's new. Now, boys and girls, is there anybody here who has noticed this from darker? I'm very glad to know that you've noticed that. You are all familiar with the stars, I assume. You're going to be able to see the stars this afternoon. You may think that that's silly. You can't see the stars in the daytime. But you're going to see the stars in the daytime today. Because whether it's day or night or clear or cloudy outside, we can show you the stars. Now, let me see. Over here is a group of stars. Anybody know what they are? The Big Dipper. What's that? North Star. Fine. I should let you do the talking. If we were at the North Pole, and I would take to the North Pole just for a while. A few years after Armand passed away, a new asteroid was discovered between Jupiter and Mars, and they named it Armand Spitz. And every now and then, Armand's asteroid passes the Hippasus asteroid. Ever heard of Hippasus? Hippasus was punished for spilling the beans about the dodecahedron. That's next episode of Mr. Dodecahedron. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Michael McConville over at Spitz, Owen and Trish at the Projector Museum, and Brent Apatantuano, author of Armand Spitz, Seller of Stars. For photos of Armand Spitz and his dodecahedron projector, head on over to mrdodecahedron.com. And come back as often as you can.